Whether in the media, our government, or our schools, Christianity faces tremendous intellectual persecution. This program stands on the intellectual front lines. With disarming honesty, we engage the most difficult issues facing Christians today. I want to welcome you to Theology Unplugged, the radio outreach of Credo House Ministries in Edmond, Oklahoma. We sit down over lattes at the Credo House coffee shop and just talk theology. I'm Michael Patton, president of Credo House Ministries. I'll be leading the discussion along with Tim Kimberly, director of ministries for Frontline Church Edmond, Sam Storms, lead pastor of Bridgeway Church, and finally J.J. Side, pastor of community and discipleship at Bridgeway Church. We live in a modern society. Uh, I'm proud of a lot of the advancements that we have made. I'm proud that we don't do a lot of the things that make us blush that we may have done 50 years ago or 100 years ago. It amazes me so often, guys, Sam, JJ, Tim, whenever, whenever I look at the, the way humanity has acted in the past. I'm not saying we're perfect in the present, but what I'm saying is there's certain things in the past that you look at and you're like, how could we have ever allowed for slavery? Mm-hmm. How could we have ever been so exclusivistic and arrogant and and denying a freedom to people, whether it be religion or, you know, thinking of women and their their voting rights, you can't vote. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you're a woman. Mm-hmm. And so and today I'm I'm proud of where we have come or the advancements that we have made. I'm not saying we're perfect or anything, but it seems like we're getting better. It seems like we are um, not quite as archaic. Now, the passage that we're coming to today, this will be part of the issue, I think, is that it seems like we're being very, we're, we're going back in time. Well, and it's a passage that most preachers would usually stay away from too and just say like, okay, I believe the Bible's true. I'm just going to sidestep around this passage and keep on going somewhere else. I, I sidestep it every time. <laughs> you guys made yeah. me do this or I would have sidestepped past it. I'm just yeah. going to let it go and then I'm going to hide. Well, and the truth of the matter is too, I think uh, all of us here at the table are married. Uh, we have mothers that we love. Uh, I have two daughters myself. And, you know, I, I want my daughters, I want Hannah and Grace to, to grow up and be all that God has made them to be, you know. And so we we feel this too, that, that we very much desire the women in our lives to be all that God has made them to be. And we don't want to limit them in a certain way. And say, here's what you can do. Yeah. You, you uh, in past times, you can stay at home. You can take care of the kids. You can, you can do the cooking. Um, if you're a good cook, I'm more likely to marry you. Can't vote. Can't, can't, uh, can't work. But just do these things and you, you will be the good wife. Yeah. Sociologists are well aware that that Jesus raised the value of women in society, that the Judeo-Christian ethic elevates the value of women. So here you have Paul and Jesus talking about women as equal in dignity and worth and value. And then we come to these words of Paul and we ask, is Paul actually repealing the advances that he's making for the mm-hmm. cause of women? Is Does this right. clash with his high view of women? Does it, does it somehow harmonize with his high view of women? And if so, how? Paul's yeah. a chauvinist. He's a chauvinistic pig. Yeah, I would uh, fully disagree with that statement. Get unplugged and agree with me. No, I'm unplugged by disagreeing. I'm the only one who ever gets unplugged around here. It's because you're the chauvinist pig. (laughs) It's unplugged in itself, isn't it? (laughs) It is. (laughs) 
can, let, let's talk about this. What, what, is it, what is the passage here? It is First uh, Timothy chapter 2, and uh, I guess it's, you, we focus on verse 11. Or 12, verses 11 and 12. 11 and 12. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire sub- submissiveness. I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. I mean, that is not a passage that I think um, most find as a good memory passage these days. <laughs> well, and I think, too, what we have to realize, now we do honor Scripture for sure, but what we're trying to do is take off the masks, you know, and just say, like, okay, how do I honestly feel when I first hear this? And, you know, just an idea of let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And we think, okay, is this going to happen in a university setting? Like, is this a general principle for all of the world? Is, like, women need to just be, and it it ends up sounding like a Taliban culture. Yeah, there you go. If we just keep it in. That's unplugged. uh, Yeah, (laughs) if if we don't, uh, if, if we just keep it to these two verses and this is all someone knows of the Bible, they're definitely going to think that we're heading to a Sharia law type. Yeah, type in, the last, in the last 50 years, you know, some, some uh, lady theologians have been writing scholarly works on what they refer to as texts of terror. You know, mm-hmm. is, this, is this another text of terror where a woman is being uh, abused, being marginalized, being uh, put in, in a position where she's not safe, where she's not being cared for? We're going that back going in time. On. Going back in and, time. And part of the problem here, and I think this is a little bit of what Tim was getting at, is interpreting a passage such as this is one thing. Um, we can dig into it. We can ask questions. We can look at the context. And we can come away, I think, with a fairly accurate understanding of what Paul is saying. Applying it 2,000 years later in our uh, society that is fragmented and has developed and grown and fractured, and we have so many different contexts, so many different ways in which the life of the church and mm-hmm. Christian ministry is carried out. I mean, Paul was addressing a, a situation. There were no parachurch ministries when he wrote this. There was no campus crusade or crew. There was no intervarsity. There was no young life. Um, there was the, the question of whether or not a woman would ever be a church planter, for example, was was never, as far as we can tell, raised uh, during this period of time. Uh, there, there probably weren't like Beth Moores out right. there. there yeah, Kay Arthurs the yeah. and the like. Uh, that sort of, you know, there were no, no television, no podcasts, no books that were being written and published in the thousands of copies. So how do you how do you interpret a text that was written within a framework in which the local church, small local churches compared to what we have today, were the really only expression of Christianity and Christian life. And Paul's speaking into that situation. And then we take it and we want to apply it across the board to the multifaceted um, ways in which Christian ministry is carried out in our day, not only inside the church, but outside. That's what makes it hard. All right, I'm, I'm going to use some big terms here, and I don't want people to label themselves or put themselves in a position or skew this conversation because I'm using these terms, and you're going to go ask your pastor, your church, and say, which are we? But I think it's important for our listeners to hear these things because they're part of the debate. You've got one side, which is called complementarianism. And then the other side, which is called egalitarianism. 
And the egalitarians will take passages like these and normally say, well, they are inspired, they are part of the Bible, and they they do have uh, basic principles, yet like other passages in the Bible which speak of slavery or speak of um, uh, other issues with with, uh, regard to women, these need to be interpreted in the context and they no longer have application today. And so they would say that women can teach men. men. Women can be in authority over men in the church or society and the family. In the, in the complementarian side, they would take passages like these and say, these still apply. And so um, in the in one, there, there's all kinds of people among the spectrum of complementarians as well, as well as egalitarians. Uh, but most basically in the church, women are not to be pastors. They're not to be elders. They are not to uh, teach, at least on a regular basis, men. So those are the two basic sides, complementarianism, egalitarianism. Now, from my Whenever I look and evaluate kind of the landscape, the culture, the the church as it's going today, I see everybody going in the direction of egalitarian. So if you want to get on the bandwagon and you want to be relevant, you want to be a, a church that's growing, you don't want to be laughed at, um, and, and even evangelical today because evangelicals mm-hmm. are on both sides, then this is the way you need to be as an egalitarian. That's very important for our listeners to understand that there's far, far more that unites egalitarians and complementarians than separates them. Mm -hmm. Egalitarians and complementarians both agree on the worth, value, and dignity of men and women. Both agree that men and women practice spiritual gifts in the local church. Both agree that they have an active role in the body life. The point of difference is on something very specific confined to the words of Paul, which is, reserving the role of senior governmental authority in the local church, the teaching of doctrine by the elders, and a differing of roles in the home, that the role of husband and wife are not interchangeable, same in dignity and value, and yet differing in the responsibilities assigned to them. That's it. That's, that's the point of contention. Mm-hmm. And the contention also can be further subdivided, and I don't think we're going to be able to get into all of these, but you've got, okay, are we talking about the role of the women in the home, like you talked about, the role of the women in the church, or the role of women in society. Can a woman be president of the United States? Can a woman pay all the bills and and tell the husband what job to take and where to move? Can a woman in the church sit behind the pulpit and teach week after week? I think those are all three different yet very related things, but this is talking very specifically about, I think, in the church. I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority, but must receive instruction quietly with submissiveness, entire submissiveness. I mean, what, what is going on here? Are these principles still carried over? Do we know? Is it too difficult of a passage for us to worry about? You said it's not in- essential. And I think what you mean is that uh, well, there, there's good people on both sides, and maybe it's not essential for salvation. Is that right? I mean, you, can you be saved and be either side? Yeah, this is what would be considered a, a secondary issue in terms of it doesn't put your soul in jeopardy if you disagree with me. Sam, does that mean it's not important? No, I think it is important. Um, I think the question that you've raised about uh, can we apply this uh, today, is it still in some sense binding? We have to ask the question of the text, uh, what is it that Paul is actually prohibiting 
uh, and why, what are his reasons and his grounds. So for, I'll just give you a quick example. The egalit- a lot of egalitarians say that what Paul is doing is prohibiting um, uneducated women from teaching, that women in that day and time in the first century, and this was most likely written to Timothy when he was in Ephesus, the argument is uh, women did not have uh, access to education. They couldn't go to college, and whatever the ancient equivalent of that would be. Um, and they were, um, in many cases, illiterate. And therefore, Paul is protecting the body of Christ against uneducated, unqualified women from providing theological instruction that might uh, lead to you know, devastating results. The problem with that— Well, that, that would put the emphasis on the I. Like, I don't allow a woman to teach because of the situation. Yeah. And the problem with that is, uh, first of all, he, he doesn't I, say that. He doesn't say anything about whether or not they're educated or uneducated. Furthermore, why would he only prohibit women and all women if the problem is only uneducated women? Why wouldn't he also prohibit uneducated men from teaching? And if it's only uneducated women, why is it a universal prohibition? Why is it that he seems to be describing all women? Um, Furthermore, we know that it's not true that women were uneducated in the ancient world. Uh, Extensive research has shown that they were, and particularly in Ephesus, um, we know that Priscilla was present there, and she was highly educated. So So we have to ask these questions, to whom is he speaking? What are the reasons for his prohibition? I've, actually, I've heard people say, well, what he's really saying is I, I prohibit women from uh, false teaching, from teaching false doctrine. Well, the problem is the only people who are described in the pastoral epistles as teaching false doctrine are men. Why didn't he prohibit men from teaching false doctrine? That's good. And furthermore, there's actually a word in Greek that Paul uses in 1 Timothy that means false teaching. He doesn't use it here. Uh, teaching is always in the pastorals reviewed positively unless the context dictates otherwise, and it doesn't here. So it seems, and I agree with you, this brings me full circle, Michael, to your point. I think he's talking about um, the life of the local church, especially given the fact that in the immediately following chapter 3, he sets forth the qualifications for an elder, for those who are to be the pastoral senior governmental leaders of a local body. And he, and he very clearly restricts that to men. So I think what Paul is basically referring to here, and again, here we're moving from first century to 21st century, but I think in the 21st century context, as we look at church life in 2014, I think Paul is talking, and if I can just personalize it, about what I do on a Sunday morning as a senior pastor. I have the primary responsibility and authority to expound and apply to the conscience of God's people in an authoritative way what the Word of God says. And I think that's what Paul is saying, I do not permit a woman to do. So then what you're saying is that if you go up to the local university and you sit down and there's a woman who walks in and she's going to be your teacher, that's not unbiblical if they're teaching math or Correct. Science. I would say that's not unbiblical. Well, what if you're at the local university and they're teaching the Bible, Bible history, 
exegesis. Well, even uh, my you're really muddying the water. <laughs> yeah, now you're, getting, I, I, now I, you're I, getting into infighting between complementarians, and it starts yeah. to get into hair Well, because even at the seminary we went to, uh, you know, one of my Hebrew professors was was a Don't woman. Don't name any names. Yeah, and she's an ex- no seminary names. She's an, no an excellent woman names. An excellent teacher. Yeah, and even I know I know of a, and I know of a seminary president who assumed his position and and fired a Hebrew professor because she was a woman, yeah. and that he was probably thinking that he was applying this text. I personally would disagree with him. This, Paul is not talking about a university. He's not talking about a political office. He's not talking about a corporate um, um, job in uh, downtown Oklahoma City or in Dallas or in New York City. He's talking about life in the local church. And the challenge is that seminaries didn't exist at that time. Exactly. Universities didn't exist at that time. So we're we're applying all these things that didn't exist at the time. And Michael, you asked the question earlier. I I just have to answer it and, and resolve a little bit of this tension. The home, the church, and the broader culture. Submission, this principle of submission is not all women submitting to all men in every context. And so often that view is heard in that way. The principle of submission is exercised in the home, in, in a loving marriage, and in the church with loving leaders caring for the souls of the people. Let, let me take this opportunity because Michael you and JJ also alluded to the fact that there's there's a variety in the spectrum of complementarians. And this is very important for people to understand. There are some complementarians who, uh, tragically, in my opinion, live in constant anxiety and fear that um, that a woman's going to cross a line. And it's almost like they're border guards and they just stand um, uh, on that boundary line. And if there's any possibility whatsoever that a woman might cross uh, a, a biblical uh, boundary, um, they're there to clamp down, to insist on silence, and to prohibit. Um, I'm not that sort of complementarian. I don't think you guys are either, but I'll let you speak for yourselves. Um, unless the Word of God explicitly prohibits a woman from a particular activity, I'm going to strive to release, empower, and equip her to fulfill her calling and to exercise her gifts in life. So, uh, you know, we've raised questions here. What about a woman teaching Hebrew in a seminary? What about a woman teaching uh, uh, comparative religion uh, at a university here in the city? What about a woman holding political office or serving as a CEO of a major company? Can I, as a man, serve under her and take orders from her? The simple fact of the matter is the Bible doesn't speak to those situations and to those contexts, and there's no text that prohibits a woman from doing that. Now, let me get even more particular. What about in the local church? Um, in our church at Bridgeway, we have women who lead worship. They stand up on a Sunday morning with an instrument, a guitar, a keyboard, or whatever, and they lead worship. Um, we will have women on occasion read scripture. We allow women to pray publicly, uh, to exercise the gift of prophecy in the corporate gatherings. Why do we allow them to do that if Paul says what he does here? And the answer is because Paul is not talking about those functions. He nowhere says that a woman cannot um, lead and facilitate worship. He nowhere's. Now, here's a controversial one. We allow women to baptize. I've had mothers baptize their daughters and their sons. Now, that is scandalous to many complementarians. But if you can show me a text where a woman is explicitly prohibited from baptizing, we'll stop the practice. So I'm a, 
I'm a kind of what I call a flexible complementarian. Unless the Word of God explicitly prohibits some particular activity, whether it's a spoken ministry or some other kind of uh, exercise of a spiritual gift, I'm not going to prohibit it. All right. I got a question for you, Sam. Uh, I, I was afraid of that. Under your authority and your leadership and your oversight, would you allow your wife to preach a sermon? No. Okay, even though you are in authority leading your church, so it's under even, let's say she has shown her notes to you so that you can very, she manuscripts her message and shows it to you, you with your authority oversee it and then allow her to communicate it. Would you allow her to communicate that? And you don't even call it a sermon, you call it a message. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, nice. again, a, a part of the the answer to that is is in in what context? Are you talking about a Sunday morning? Yeah, this would be Sunday a morning. Corporate assembly yes. of the body of uh, a mixed body of believers. The answer yes. is no. If she was speaking only to women, I would say yes. Um, I don't believe that I can utilize or appeal to my biblical authority as a male elder in our local church to justify a practice that seems to be explicitly prohibited by the text. So you'd just be too uncomfortable that you're getting too close to what the Bible In that particular case, yes. Okay. I wouldn't use that word too close. That sounds like we're sort of not too hot, not too cold, like a Goldilocks metaphor. It sounds like that would be be acting directly contrary to what Paul is saying. Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, let me say that there's a spectrum among egalitarians as well. Sure. There's those that are, you know, many people would label them as very hardcore, maybe feminists. And then there's those that look very much more like complementarians that are on the other side, but just have different views on a few a few things. But um, whenever whenever we're looking at this, here, here's the question that I have. I think, and I think a lot of our listeners, especially the women, may have, is why? Why is this? Can we can we give the reason why? Is there is there some principle here that I need to know about? Am I not smart enough? Am I is the Bible too hard for me to understand? Am I am I just in the church for some reason? While I may be in the university, a really good teacher, once I get into the church, it just all goes away, and there's no power of the Holy Spirit. Am I dangerous? Does the local church need to be protected from me? Am I more prone to espousing heresy than a man just by by view of my gender? Uh, well, yeah, there is a why for sure. So the question is, though, do we know the why? <laughs> you know? well, so, so God definitely has. Do you know a why. the why? Um, well, I, I think we need to hold the why a little loose. I mean, of course, uh, Adam and Eve. Is, I know the why. I'll tell you the why yeah, later. Yeah, I've heard your why many times. I'm still, <laughs> I'm still not sure about it. But uh, you know, Paul does point us to Adam and Eve as as the the general, it, probably not the why, but as an illustration of of what he's talking about. And uh, it seems like he's pointing to example. it as the why. But well, I, I think he does answer the why. He does it not only in First Timothy two, but First Corinthians eleven. In 1 Corinthians 11, the the explanation given is, for man was not made from woman, but woman from man. So he's appealing to the prior creation of man. God created Adam first, and from Adam came Eve. And then he says, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. Um, And then here in 1 Timothy 2, he says in the very next verse, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So he seems to appeal to the priority, the chronological priority of creation as an indication from God that God has established the man as the head over his wife. 
in both the life of the church and the life of marriage. Now, again, that head over, that could be an explosive. I got people out there, I can hear them getting real <laughs> mad. They're throwing <laughs> things at their radio Someone their just computer. swerved off the road. <laughs> um, we must remember that the purpose of being head over is not to domineer, control, uh, or exploit, but to serve and to love and to lead and to instruct and to facilitate growth in godliness. As John Piper said really well, headship doesn't assume it's superior. It assumes it should take initiative. Yeah, well, because Jesus is the model and Jesus is the servant leader. And so, yeah, I mean, it seems like God gives Adam a responsibility. He doesn't give him power. He gives him responsibility. I think our listeners need to be very aware that there's something presuppositional going on with all of us here that will tweak your emotions. You have to ask yourself if it seems like Scripture is saying that there may be differing roles in the home and in the local church for men and women. You have to ask yourself, does that then presuppositionally necessarily lead to differing value and worth? Are, are those identical? Or can you conceive of, even if you don't agree with this view, can you at least conceive that it's possible that men and women could have differing roles and yet not have women's value, worth, and dignity diminished in any way? Yeah. The fact is, all of us at this table are egalitarians in a very fundamental and important way. We believe in the absolute equality of male and female in the sight of God in terms of their value. They're both image bearers. Peter said it in 1 Peter 3, 7, Husbands, you need to live with your wives in an understanding way, showing, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And, and somebody says, ah, oh, weaker vessel, inferior. No, no, no. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. They are co-heirs of salvation. They, in, they are justified on the same terms. They are equally loved by the Father in heaven. So we are truly, in that sense, egalitarians. Now, when it comes to the functional differences in church and in home, we're complementarians. We hope you've enjoyed today's broadcast. If it's blessed you, they'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to join the group again next week for another edition of Theology Unplugged. Theology Unplugged is a listener-supported ministry of the Credo House. They're a theological hub and coffee shop, and their address is 109 Northwest 142nd Street in Edmond, Oklahoma, 73013. They're open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 9 p.m., and Saturdays, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Please consider this your official invitation. You're invited to come and visit the Credo House and discuss today's program or take a tour of the theologically rich surroundings. You might also enjoy one of their signature drinks like a Luther latte or a Nicene mocha. In fact, if it's your first time in the Credo House and you mention that you heard their program on Bot Radio Network, you can have the drink of your choice for free. For more information or to support this ministry, visit credohouse.org.